Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war It's been almost two and a half years since I released undercover video footage of what was occurring in the hospital virally to the world. On one channel alone, YouTube, my video received over 5 million views in just a few days. I shared that hospital footage with James O'Keefe. Um, as a means to let the world know what was occurring in the hospital so that they could make their own informed and educated decisions. Today, I will be discussing what, well, my journey into returning to the ER. Guys, this is like my favorite area of nursing, and I have missed it so much. So on this first half, I'm going to talk about that and the events that led up to my return and the challenges that I have faced, the insights into what I'm seeing in the ER in 2024, the reflections on the changes in healthcare and nursing profession since my absence, and the importance of whistleblowers in improving patient care and safety. You know, it's been my dedication to my profession and to people, despite the adversity that I have faced. And I want to give you some insight into the hope um, in the future of healthcare. On the second half of the show, I am going to attempt to answer the questions that I have been receiving. So, you are listening to Nurses Out Loud on AmericaOutloud.news. You could be listening to us on any of your favorite podcast apps because we are on virtually all of them. We are also consistently for the last year in the top one to 5% of podcasts worldwide. There are over 3 million. So thank you guys so much for your support for sharing, for reviewing our show. Matter of fact, right now, maybe pause this and go to our show and like it, save it, and write a review for us. We would really appreciate that. It, it just gets us boosted in the algorithms and more people can hear the truth that me and my amazing sister nurses, Nurse Michelle and Nurse Kimberly, um, are bringing to you guys every week. So without further ado, let's get started. How did I go back to the ER? Well, I think it's important to go back a little bit further. Uh, in March of 2020, I or 2021, I had to go in front of the Arizona State Board of Nursing to answer for why I did what I did. Why did I record my colleagues secretly 
and expose it to the world. And so when the Arizona State Board of Nursing received more than a dozen complaints against my license, such as she is spreading myths and disinformation, uh, she is providing ivermectin for people, you know, just, and, and a lot of them were just upset that they were recorded. And, um, but listen, I had to do that because what was happening at the time was so much mass propaganda and fear R right around the same time at, well, actually a couple months after my whistleblower, the national council of the state board of nursing put out a memorandum saying that any nurses that are speaking against CDC, who, you know, the World Health Organization, HHS criteria or protocols are subject to um, getting their license revoked. And, and truly, I was like, really? <laughs> who do you guys think you are? I took an oath to the patients to people, to the community, to provide the nine principles of nursing ethics. My oath was not to the policymakers. It was not to my administration. And it certainly was not to the propaganda machine of mainstream media, social media, right? Like I the whole entire time that I was educating and providing information from the jump from February of 2020, I had said, you know what? I have science on my side. I have the truth on my side. That is called evidence-based practice. We are as providers you know, nurses, doctors, anybody in the medical field, we are to use evidence-based practice in guiding our, our nursing care, right? We don't just make up little circles, six feet circles, and putting masks on people and saying, this will help. Or don't come to the hospital because there's nothing we can do for you, which is completely false. We violated so much of our ethics and evidence-based medicine. And I just, I did not care. I said, if they're going to come after me, well, guess what? I have thousands and thousands of evidence-based um, research on my side. So I was ready to go toe to toe for, with them. And I really didn't have to. They ordered me to undergo a formal ethics evaluation where a medical ethicist evaluated me, asked me a ton of questions as to why I did what I did. And at the end, um, that ethicist deemed me ethical and my license was free and clear and intact. And, but how did I co go back to the ER? Let's let's go there because I can talk for hours on, you know, everything that's transpired over the last two and a half years. But I really want to stick to the topic of this show. I received a text from a doctor that I used to work with in, in the ER, and I have worked at several of them. He reached out to me and asked me, what are you doing? And I told him I am doing patient advocacy. I have the truth movement, a private membership community, 
And I also um, am doing the radio show, right? And doing interviews, none of which is paid for, you know, pays me by the way. Um, but I have been committed to doing that. And at that time, I really was struggling for how am I going to um, get some steady income coming in. So this was essentially like a godsend for me. He had told me that he was the medical director at this facility and that they could really use my help. He loved the type of nurse that I was and thought that it was an abomination that I was not at the bedside taking care of people anymore. So I said, yeah, connect me with the nurse manager and I'll interview. So I went in for the interview and I had told them, you know, at the end, I said, hey, just to let you know, I am uh, a nurse whistleblower. I recorded what was happening in the hospital and I released it virally to the world. And they said, did you do it for patient safety? And I said, yes. And they said, well, good. Welcome aboard. <laughs> and then I asked them if they require shots and they said, nope. You just sign a declination. You don't even need to put in a, a an exemption. You can just sign a piece of paper, say that you don't want it. And, and we're good with that. I then asked them what their policy on masks were. And they said, if you want to wear it, wear it. But we will not require um, our staff to wear them again. And I said, okay, awesome. Well, good. So that's really how I got back into the field. I also asked them at the time if we could keep my whistleblowing um, private because I wanted to go back to the ER and be Nurse Jody, not Nurse Whistleblower Jody, but Nurse Jody, and take care of people and, and you know help out the nursing staff. And they said, "Yeah, no problem." And it's not that. I am ashamed or afraid of, you know, being the whistleblower and people finding me out, so to speak, um, because there have been several nurses that have recognized me. I have had several patients recognize me and also doctors that are providers recognize me. And I asked all of them if they could just, you know, not talk about it because I figure people are going to find out soon enough and that's okay. I'm proud of what I did, but I wanted to give them a chance to not judge me on anything and just judge my nursing capabilities and my ability and, and my style of nursing, right? Because every department that I've ever worked at, and it's been many, um, I have the respect of, of the staff there, and I, I couldn't imagine this time being any different. So essentially, that's how I returned. Um, I knew in my spirit that I could not return to the bedside like an ICU anymore or hospital supervisor. I could not work for a big corporation because they are all about just, you know, the policies handed down by the government and also medicine. There's a lot that I don't agree with anymore. And so I couldn't compromise my integrity and my morals to go back. And I just trusted that God would provide, you know, it didn't come without me having some fear of returning to the, 
to the bedside in the critical care area after two and a half years being gone. I did. I had fear. But I looked to God and I said, Father, if this is where you want me to be, I need you to show me. And so many times he has shown me like, child, this is why you're here. And I, I'm going to get into some of the examples of what I have seen and, and the patients that I have taken care of um, to just give you uh, a little bit of insight onto how I recognize that, you know, God is leading me in doing this. This isn't just me wanting to be there. You know, I think it's important also to know that our father in heaven, Yeshua, like knows our heart and he searches our heart. And so when we are living in his will, he understands he's going to, he's going to give us what we want on the side. Right. And I had just been super patient and waiting for the right opportunity and the right time where I saw that he showed up and said, okay, here it's go time. Essentially the same as he did for me when he told me to record what the pharmacist had said. And that was my very first recording in the hospital. Um, and what led me to blow the whistle in the manner in which I did. And so we'll talk a little bit about that because there, there have been events that led to me overcoming challenges in, in returning to the emergency room. For example, whistleblower retaliation. My hospital paid me for 15 months base pay. I was missing about 30% of my pay, but I got a paycheck every two weeks for 15 months, um, which was a retaliation. You know, it was retaliation because they weren't allow, uh, allowing me to return back to the bedside. And, you know, a federal judge ruled in November of last year that I made non-frivolous allegations subject to further proof. And praise God, right now I am in the process of discovery phase in my whistleblower retaliation, which means that we are gathering evidence. Um, well, HHS is gathering their evidence to present to us, and I'm gathering my evidence to present to them on why I did what I did and how they were corrupt and um, killed people. And I know that sounds to many of you, like maybe kind of harsh, especially if you're just hearing about it for the first time. But I refused to settle with them last November. I said, I didn't do this. I didn't come forward and risk my life and my career um, and all of the you know friends and stuff that I lost because I was looking for money. I am looking for justice. I am looking for the American people to know what has happened to them. So many of you guys that listen to the show understand that there are things, understand the corruption, but you all are asking the question, when will they pay? Well, along with my attorney, Mike Yoder, who has just been an angel, Ryan Heath from the Gavel Project has been amazing. You know, like my case is moving forward and that is what I my hope is, is for the American people to hear it, 
you know, I don't know exactly how it's going to unfold, whether it'll be a jury trial or in front of Congress. But my goal has always been to get the word out. And so, you know, I've had legal battles. I, I've had the pharmacist put a order of protection on me. And that lasted for over a year. And I tried to fight it. I had to pay, you know, 10 grand to, to try to fight it. And a judge ruled that, no, I was a danger to her. And I was like, oh, my word. Right. And then I thought, OK, well, whatever. I'm not going to spend any more money on this. I'll let it run out after a year. Well, then when that year was up, the judge ruled that she got granted it again. And that's when, um, you know, me and my attorneys are like, no, we're fighting this. And we we had to go to essentially a hearing. And it was like three days that we were in front of this judge and presenting my evidence. She was presenting hers. And um, and then she was also asking me, asking the judge to prevent me from ever saying the pharmacist again. Like, Wow. Thankfully, this judge ruled on the Constitution and the First Amendment, and he said, no, it's that's teetering on, on the Constitution if I you know, tell her that she can never say the pharmacist publicly again. And, um, and I won, and I won that. So, yay. <laughs> yay. We, we have some ethical people still in office. Right. So that happened. Um, and I won that. And so um, I think like whistleblower laws and protection are in place, guys, um, for for reasons. Right. We cannot stand by no matter what field you're in and say, I'm going to stay silent because I don't trust that God's going to provide. I mean, essentially, at the end of the day, high level view, that's what it is. If you have faith in, in a higher power, right, why would you not trust if you're doing what's right that you're going to be taken care of? And now it hasn't been easy. I mean, I've, I've gained a ton of weight, um, which I'm in the process of losing. Um, it's been very emotional. It's been a lot of... Um, tears, a, a lot of struggle. But every time that happens, I just get back into the word of God and I search for him and ask the Holy Spirit to guide me. And, um, and he has, so that's what I meant. But many of you guys also want to know what am I seeing in the emergency room? Wow. Like what has it been like returning? Well, I will say it it was I was very anxious and and fearful because critical care emergency medicine, like you have got to be on your toes. And I and I told the my nursing manager, I said, listen, I've been out of this for quite some time. I need some precepting shifts. And they gave it to me. They said, take as many as you need. And the, the interesting thing about nurses in the emergency room are they are very much, they can recognize weakness, right? They can sense somebody who's very strong in their skills. 
And I was also very forthcoming with them. I told them I have not been at the bedside for almost two and a half years. And they all asked me, well, what have you been doing? And I said, patient advocacy work. (laughs) Because that's what I've been doing. Patient advocacy work. And they looked at me and they're like, kind of what's that? And how do I get to do that? You know? And I said, well, essentially I was taking care of people um, so that they didn't go to the hospital, that they were treated early. And many of them, all of them really stopped asking any more questions. They just said, oh, okay. You know, not like, what does that mean? Because they all know, right? Many of them know they have some kind of inkling because you can't tell me that being in the profession that we are in, where we put people and patients first, that they didn't have that little whisper, that little nudging from God to say, hey, something's not right. You know, they, they know what that means. But anyway, um, that's what, you know, I told them that I've been doing. I don't tell them I host a weekly radio show. Um, I'm not there to be friends. So I'm not exchanging social media or phone numbers with them. I am there to be Nurse Jody and take care of the people that God has put in front of me. That's my, that's my purpose. So, um, you know, I, I look and, and I see what has happened. What's the trends in emergency medicine? Well, first of all, we are not turning people away, right? We are not telling people that, oh my gosh, the flu is out there. COVID's on the rise. Don't come to the hospital like we did in 2020, right? Um, We are seeing everybody. And there have been many, many cases of flu and RSV and uh, COVID. But doctors are not... um, They are not like admitting people into the hospital. I have not had one person in two months and that would probably be, oh my gosh, hundreds of hours, right? Hundreds of hours I've worked. Uh, Well, maybe not hundreds. Let's see. It's about 12 hours a shift. I've probably worked about 15 shifts and not one person has been admitted or intubated. So that's a big change, right? We're not, we're not doing those stupid things that uh, we were doing before. Um, We also are seeing uh, a lot more mental health emergencies, a lot more transgender uh, kids, you know, young adults, not really seeing it. And I haven't seen anybody over the age of 30, uh, coming in and identifying it's, it's basically our preteens, our teenagers and our 20 something year olds. Um, we're seeing that a lot. I'm also seeing on the triage note. So triage is just a set of questions that we ask. And there are some that, well, I'll just read it to you. Cause I wrote it down. Um, but general information under the general information category, which says code status, like, do they want to be a DNR? Are they a full code? Uh, do they have any advanced directives? 
what is their preferred language? Um, and do we need an interpreter? Right there is another question that asks if they're undergoing gender reassignment. And to me, that's just, it, it's wild because prior to me blowing the whistle in 21, we had heard about this, you know, coming to, to pass, right? The, the media and our government are pushing these um, narratives on our kids and on people and try to make it more mainstream that now I see that they have implemented it in nursing and medical schools, right? That this is normal behavior. Prior to 2020, guys, we if we had a psych patient, because this is a mental health issue, right? Somebody thinking that they're a boy when they're actually a girl and vice versa, this has always been classified as a mental health issue. And now they're making it to be mainstream and acceptable. They're teaching about it in nursing schools. And, um, and, and when I say teaching about it, they're not really teaching about it. They're not teaching about the harms, um, the long-term big pharma patient that these people uh, will undergo. They're not talking about many of them regretting their choices of mutilating their body, either chemically or surgically, right? They're not talking about that stuff. They're just saying that if somebody comes in and wants to be identified as a boy or a girl, um, you have to refer to them in that manner. And like, I, I, the, I'll call anybody who, whatever name they want me to call them, right? If they want to go by Susie and they're really Steven, I'll call you Susie. No, no problem. No big deal. But in the last, just this past week, I've had two. One that attempted suicide and this was their sixth attempt in overdosing Okay. And trying to overdose. Horrible, horrible. I had another a patient. This was just this week on the same shift. I had another patient that is a girl that identifies as a boy and her uh, girlfriend was in the room with them. And uh, the nurse told me, she said, I have seen her come in for asthma many times in two years, many times. And let me tell you, in this past year, since she has been on these, um, you know, uh, transgender medications, she has gained a hundred pounds. She has hair now growing in the middle of her breast. And, you know, and, and she has just gotten worse with her asthma. And she's, she told me, she's like, what a beautiful girl she was. She said, Jody, it just breaks my heart. She was so beautiful. And here she is being someone other than what God intended her. And, and really primarily, I think it's because we have just promoted this as normal. 
And so, you know, th that's a that's a little bit of a background. Um, when we return from break, I'm going to discuss some more cases that I had seen. Um, but before we do, I need you guys to go and check out AmericaOutloud.news. You could download the America Out Loud talk radio app, which will give you 24-7 access to more than a dozen different shows. I think we have like two or three dozen different shows that are airing there on that app 24-7. Guys, this is such an amazing research or amazing what Malcolm from America Out Loud has done. Uh, I believe we're cel he's celebrating seven years now on the radio and we are just skyrocketing. You can also go to our AmericaOutloud.shop and check out the variety of products that only our America Out Loud talk radio listeners will receive. One of my favorite products, and I talk to you guys about this all the time, is ASEA, Redox Signaling Molecule. People don't understand exactly what that is, but it is a drink, you know, it's essentially salt water um, with this uh, redox technology that gets it into the cell at the mitochondria level. So when you drink it, it goes throughout your whole body and it, it just helps repair at the cellular level, helps increase energy, vitality, um, and this is our flagship product that we have on Nurses Out Loud. So check it out. Let me know your thoughts if you're taking it as well. And you could also reach out to us at nurses at americaoutloud.com. And we'll be right back after the break. It's time and Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out AmericaOutloud.shop, look for ASEA Cell Signaling Molecules Liquid Supplement, and check out Nurse Michelle's recent favorite ASEA product, Renew 28 Revitalizing Redox Gel, because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when I broke my hip. Give it a try for your aches and pains and let Nurses Out Loud hear how your health 
has improved. Well, the year 2024 is upon us, and it is our chance to get it right and take back a free America. AmericaOutloud.news is your source for uncensored and factual news that facilitates truth and unity among all Americans to restore that American dream we have always cherished. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud. I'm your host, Nurse Jody O'Malley, and I am just trying to recap a little bit about my journey from being a whistleblower to returning back to the emergency room um, as a bedside nurse after two and a half years. On the first half of the program, we had talked about a little bit about my background and some events that I had gone through, some challenges that I have faced. And now we are talking about the insights and what I am seeing in healthcare. And so I want to pick up on that um, to close out the show. I also am going to try to get to your questions, but if I'm unable to do it on this broadcast, remember, we have nurse Q&A every Tuesday and nurse news analysis every Thursday. So. We are on air five days a week, guys. Um, All of our shows go to podcasts. So if I'm not getting to all these questions now, which I highly doubt that I will, it's so crazy how fast like 53 minutes goes by. Um, And I try not to be long winded, but I also don't want to rush through things um, because that's just not easy listening. So um, follow us and listen to us daily and and you'll see some more of your questions being answered but like what am i seeing what am i hearing um as far as nurses are concerned well first of all there's a huge nursing shortage right so many of us uh left the bedside um either they were fired or they did not want to be forced into an experimental uh injection or they did not want to have their face covered. Um, and, and that's a big one. That, that's a big one too. And so what we're seeing is the lack of nurses willing to work at, at the bedside. And that poses a problem. It poses a problem for you, the listeners, because at some point, some some of us, someone that we know, someone that we love is going to have to go to the hospital, right? And it sucks to be fearful and not trust nurses and doctors anymore. You know, even the nurses and doctors don't trust the nurses and doctors, right? Um, and I have been a fly on the wall, right? Because they don't know that I... I'm a whistleblower. I have a radio show. Um, I am able to hear about what they truly think and feel. And, you know, this isn't about exposing people because I think we're like way past that. 
um, right now. Um, but I have heard nurses say, I had heard it, I was in the break room and a couple of nurses had said, yeah, I'm, I'm not taking another one of those shots. I got my two and I'm done. And they mean it, you know, because a lot of them regret taking it, especially this one who said, I think I suffered a vaccine injury. And then she started talking about how her heart had changed, how her rhythms had changed, how she had to get on medication, how after she got that shot, she knew something was different in her body. And she regrets getting the second one. Like what? She knew that it affected her body. And there's so many, so many nurses and doctors that have been affected. But because we were like essentially gaslighting people and saying, oh, no, oh, no, we've, we've given millions of shots out. And, you know, it's rare. So you must just be the rare case. You know, that type of thing. Um, they know. They know what's up. Let, let's even talk about um, masks, for example. Nobody in my uh, emergency room wears them. Now, occasionally, if we have a patient that's super symptomatic, high fever and, um, you know, coughing and sneezing, and we suspect that they, you know, are sick because they're presenting as though they're sick. Um, you know, we'll have nurses go in the room when they're starting the IV and stuff and throw a mask on so they don't get wet. Um, but many of us like, no, and we don't even talk about it. If we see someone have a mask on, it's usually for a very short amount of time, like what we were trained to do, right? Because we know that the, our breath produces water, right? And it gets on the mask and it degradates it. So even if we put the mask on, it's only good for minutes, right? We're not wearing it going around um, the on our shift. And, you know, so, the, so that's a big change. And I, I am seeing registration wear them, you know, and, and you wonder, like they are at the front desk not even close to people really, right? We don't have any of those stupid plexiglasses, um, but they see the whole staff in the emergency room not wearing it. And so you wonder like, why do they feel like they, like, oh, I'm protecting myself and they're not protecting themselves. Like, you don't think that we know what's up? And so many of us do. And- you know, I had this one story of this patient. I wasn't triage. I was working, you know, the rooms and we got a call over our radio come out that uh, patient in the thirties and uh, heart rate was in the thirties. And so it's kind of like whoever's available, it's all hands on deck. So we get the patient situated, put them in a gown, hook them up to the monitor, um, start IVs while the nurse is doing the triage assessment and the physical assessment. And I had this little 90 something year old patient with her daughter 
who's like in her sixties or seventies come in and I'm putting in an IV and she has a mask on. And I said to the, to the, um, daughter, I turned around and looked at her and I said, um, excuse me, ma'am, why does your mother have a mask on? And she looked at me as though it was a strange question. And she said, she always wears a mask. And I said, what do you mean always? And she said, always. And I said, even at home? And she said, yes. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And she said, I want, I want to keep my mother around. So, you know, when we have people coming in and out of the house, like she doesn't wear it to bed, but um, during the day she has it on. And I was like, literally beside myself. I felt so sad. And I said, are you aware that they don't work to stop flu or COVID? And she looked at me and I said, yes, ma'am, you've been lied to. And now, mind you, I have the other nurses in the room that are doing their thing, right? But this was an opportunity to educate. And plus the mother has a heart rate in the 30s, you know, less than half of what, you know, the low end of normal would be. So her heart's just pumping out like, right? Like, a beat every two seconds, which is not a lot. And, and she said, what do you mean? And I said, that mask you have on does nothing. I said, our gold standard for small viruses like tuberculosis is an N95. And that only filters with 95% efficacy for a short amount of time, viruses 0.3 microns and larger. I said, the flu is 0.2 and COVID is 0.1. It's not working. And I said, but you see, look up at that monitor. You see her heart rate? Look at her. She's struggling to breathe right now. We need to get oxygen to her heart. And, and she said, okay, take it off, mom. The mother took it off. And then she looked at me and said, thank you. And see, guys, it's in these little moments that I'm like, okay, this is why God has me here to educate. And, and I'll tell you, like, as far as being a whistleblower, like I did not want to leave the Native Americans at my hospital because they were suffering the most out of any population in the world. And I knew it. I didn't want to leave them. And there were many times that I justified staying just so I can help them. But God had other plans for me. And that's where, you know, I encourage you guys to really like repent, right? Repent of your sins. Ask the Holy Spirit to come in you. Declare Yeshua as Lord and personal Savior, even if you only believe it. A tiny, 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 tiny bit. Tiny, tiny bit. Then the Holy Spirit comes in you and begins to work through you. And that's where you submit to God's will and not your own. And you allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life. That is what I try to do all the time. And, and trust me, that did not come with 
like as I'm saying this and I'm talking, I'm thinking, oh my word, I have all the my colleagues in the room and I don't know how they feel and I don't know how they're going to perceive what I just said. And I certainly don't want to lose the job. But again, I'm not there because of me. I'm there because of God. So if he has me no longer be at that hospital, there will be a, a purpose and a reason for it. And I'm not to live in fear. As followers of Yeshua, we are commanded not to live in fear. And there are so many scriptures that tell you that. So matter of fact, when you stop listening, go to Google, go to whatever browser you use and type in scriptures concerning fear and memorize that, lay that on your heart so that whenever fear comes up inside you, you have the word of God and your armor to combat that. It's super important. Super important. Let's see. Um, okay, so we talked about that. Um, oh my gosh, there's just so many stories. Um, you know, I I want to I want to lead off here, and then I'm going to try to get to a couple questions before we close out. Whistleblowers are so important. We improve patient care and safety. And as nurses and medical providers and whatever job you're in, that should be the heart of everything you do. We need to encourage others to speak up, right? There's so many ethical dilemmas in healthcare. And instead of nurses leaving the profession, even if you're a nurse or a doctor and you're considering leaving the profession, think about what you can do. Before, before you leave, because if you're going to leave on your own, you, you can't do anything about that, right? You're, you're just voluntarily leaving the profession that you once loved, or they're going to fire you. Well, might as well fire you for blowing the whistle, right? Instead of volunteering leaving. I remember when I was considering blowing the whistle and I was going back and forth, back and forth. Should I quit and then blow the whistle? And my son, who is like 20, my oldest, who is like 29 at the time, he said, absolutely not, mama. No, you're going to make them fire you. And I, I just think so, so often, like how proud I am of the kids that I've raised because all three of them, my oldest, um, JJ, my middle child, Taylor, and my youngest, Benjamin, have just been such um, amazing little warriors be, by my side, you know, even though that they gave really gave me up, you know, for quite some time. Um, you know, I was always on the phone. I was always doing an interview. I was always traveling, speaking. Um, you know, they, they've just stood beside me and have had the best advice. Um, and I'm just so proud of that, but, um, let's see if I can get to a couple of questions here before we head off. Um, so let's see, it says, 
In what ways has the nursing profession suffered and how has it impacted patient care? Well, I think I touched on that already. You know, nurses were not willing to compromise their ethical principles. Nurses got fired for standing up for their ethical principles and morals um, because that's what you want. You want a nurse to be an advocate. And if a nurse cannot advocate advocate for herself or himself, then what kind of patient advocate do you think that they're going to be, right? If they're willing to risk their own health, mental and physical, and even spiritual health by staying in a system that they no longer agree with, what kind of nurse do you think that they're going to be or doctor caring for you when they're backed up against the wall, when you, the patient says, I don't want this, right? No matter what that is, what kind of nurse do you think is going to advocate for you? And that reminds me, that's another point. People, you don't have to do anything that the doctors or nurses tell you to do. You don't. It's called autonomy. And we're supposed to uphold that for ourselves and you and, and advocate for yours, right? I had this young girl say the other day, I, I said, honey, you don't have to do anything that the doctor um, suggests. You don't have to fill this prescription and take it. And she said, I didn't know that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you didn't know that. So sad, so sad because like as a nurse, when I'm giving discharge paperwork, you know, and I'm, you know, let me, let me think if I think of a quick example. I had just said that the other day. Oh, I think it was with a child. Oh, a child with an ear infection. And, um, they just noticed it being a little red. You know, I, and, and these people were from Mexico and the mom had said, uh, to me that, um, I said, here's a prescription. It's an antibiotic. Um, and she goes, do we have, to, uh, and then the, the girl said, I, I don't want to take a, a, a medicine. And the mom says, well, I have other things that I can do. You know, uh, there's trees and there's herbs and stuff that I've learned. Um, and now that I know that that is the case, um, I, perhaps I'll try it, you know? And I said, absolutely, you could try it, you know, but just make sure that this is here in case you need it, right? Just in case you need it. And so- um, she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, we don't have to take it. I said, no, you don't have to take it. And it's just like, oh my gosh, how people don't know that, but we need to, we need to tell people that, um, somebody said, what, oh, can you, oh, what inspired you? What inspired you to write your book, rare courage, standing for right when you're surrounded by wrong. Well, what inspired me was that, first of all, I know that anything that's on social media can easily be uh, eliminated, 
right? And that my story and everything that I exposed could just be gone just like that. So I understood that there was the importance of putting it in black and white, um, that something tangible for people to hold and to be able to share. Um, and I wanted, I, I was really hoping that it would encourage other nurses and doctors to step up and, you know, honor their ethical principles, especially after seeing uh, and reading about my story. So I started speaking out very early in February of 2020 on social media, primarily on Facebook and Instagram. And I used my post to guide the story, to let people know that this is how I was thinking and feeling. This is how I was using my faith and evidence-based practice to guide discussion. And I was really hoping that nurses would just be like amazed by it and, and inspired and, and hopeful that they would honor their ethical principles and that they would grow closer to God in hearing my testimony. So, you know, basically high, high level view at the end of the day, it's all about bringing people um, closer to Yeshua for me. Um, ethics and all of that is very important as well, but number one, most important um, person in my life is God. And I, if, if it wasn't for my faith in him and my submission to his will, you guys wouldn't even know me. And so at the end of the day, that, that is also why I have the truth movement now. Um, you know, it's a private membership community where I can speak directly with one of you guys or with you guys on um, a Zoom call and provide you with education and resources. Um, so if you are interested in that, go to jodyomalleyrn.com. You can also get my book on Amazon. And if you have read it, or once you do read it, if you could please, please write a review on Amazon, I would appreciate it. I, I don't have a publisher. All of the marketing is just from this um, bedside nurse that has learned how to do um, all of that, but I, I can't do it alone. And I really need your help um, in sharing it. And all right, well, this one's good too. How do you believe sharing the truth can positively impact the healthcare system and patient outcomes? Well, because there's so much that we've been lied to. I thought that there were safety studies on vaccines. Um, me even talking about it, encouraging childhood immunizations. Um, I, I was wrong. And um, if you go to childrenshealthdefense.org or thehighwire.com, um, those are just some that, or FLCCC, those are just some of the um, places that I, you know, love their resources and look at it. But yeah, we like, we have to share the truth, you know? And if you, and if you believe in Yeshua, who is the truth, life, and the way, then we should be sharing it all the time. It, it, we can't help but have a positive outcome. I mean, look at this, guys. Let's take ivermectin, for example. We had so many people, or in October of 2020, let's just say 2020, when we started hearing about I ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, like now that's a household name. 
How did you think we got to that? It wasn't, you know, it was a, a mainstream media, social media, putting it down, censoring people, shadow banning people. But because we shared that truth with others, right, by word of mouth, people now know about it. It's, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and if you guys are in need of emergency meds um, to have on hand, which I believe we all should have it, we should all have an oxygen concentrator. If, if you can, right. Um, take that tax return money, get yourself an oxygen concentrator that goes up to six, seven liters that in case you need supplemental oxygen, um, you can do it at home and you can recover at home. You need a pulse oximeter so that you can monitor your oxygen. You need a nebulizer because there's a variety of different things that you can put in it that helps respiratory issues. And you need emergency medical kits. Um, you know, TWC, one of our sponsors, they have eight different emergency medical uh, medicines with an emergency book on how to take it and when to take it um, so that you have it on hand, that you're not waiting for a doctor who will prescribe it. Because look at what they did with a Nobel Peace Prize award-winning medication that has been used over a billion times and has saved countless lives, ivermectin. They told pharmacists, you can't fill it. They told doctors, you can't prescribe it. And we have a safety data that's better than Tylenol. And they took that off the market. So like we have got to keep sharing the truth um, because we know we're not going to hear it from, um, from our government. We're not going to hear from mainstream media. And um, it's very rare that um, you are able to get it on any social media platform that's, you know, that's ran by big pharma and big tech. But that is all the time we have for today, friends. I appreciate you hanging out with me for this last hour. I just love you guys so much. Matter of fact, before I head off, check out remnantnursing.org and get yourself a patient advocate um, that you have on hand uh, before it's too late. God bless you all, and I will see you next week. It's time